Good morning. Let's turn our Bibles over to the book of Revelation. We're going to be in chapter 17. The book of Revelation, I believe, is best understood and appreciated and applied when we first recognize God for who He is. I think that's very, very important as it relates to any portion of Scripture. But as it relates to the predictions and the, um, the prophecies that are all pinned down in this uh, book of Revelation, there are some very difficult parts as we've been going through in studying the tribulation period, which is that seven-year period that follows the rapture of the church where God is going to be pouring out His wrath upon the Christ-rejecting. Fairness, justice, all of these things begin to just rise up in our minds when we begin to see the extent of God's judgment until we begin to understand the purpose and the person. It is the revelation of Jesus Christ, is it not? And it's revealing Him and He as God and as God, He is absolutely in control of all of these particular future events. And so as we we understand God. We were looking at that apologetics class or the foundations class. And I was like drawn in to think about just God and who he is, that he is eternal, that he is immutable. When I think about the character of God, I have to line myself up with what the word of God presents him to be. And so if God is the God of love, he's always love. He will never not be loving. If God is just, he will always be just. He will never, anything he does will never not be just. The idea that God doesn't change the immutability of God. When I think through that, I, I try to imagine what that would be like because we live in a world of change. I change, you change. If you don't believe it, look in the mirror tomorrow. We change. But God doesn't change. And so God who is just and fair and immutable and all-knowing and omnipresent and, 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 and as God, he can easily, from the eternal perspective, talk about things that are to come before they do come. And so when I understand the person, then I go, okay, let me understand who he is. Now I can begin to look at just these, these future, the purpose, and the purpose of the book of Revelation as I go through this is to help me understand the end. Not just the end of time on earth, but the purpose in that. And God is bringing an end to evil. God is bringing an end to unrighteousness. God, who is Jesus, is coming back as king to set up a kingdom of righteousness. And so I get my mind wrapped around that, and I'm like, okay, I can, I can grasp that. And that is very, very important. The idea that, that God sees the end of this day before this day starts. I can grab my Okay, I can't do that. He knows right now who is going to win the Super Bowl. He knows what, if there's going to be like Chief fans are going to be really upset today or 49er fans are going to be really upset today. He knows all that. But as we open up the book of Revelation, it's important to understand that. When we come to chapter 17, we come to the latter part of the tribulation period. You have the, the, the first part, the, the, the middle, if you will, and then we have the latter part of the tribulation period, but we're like the, the latter part of those um, three and a half years. And so, 
As, jo- as God begins to judge the Christ-rejecting world, he does it not just in a one-time, one-day, one-moment event where he like annihilates all evil and all the, the evil empire, the final world government that will be set up in one, one event. Now, he does it in a very thoughtful, like progressive way. And we've talked about this, that the first seal judgments, they were really bad, but they were not as bad as now the trumpet judgments that would follow. And those were not as bad as the, the, the bowl judgments that we're studying now that would follow the trumpet judgments. And there's some consideration to that, that we gave some consideration to that, that it, it just it, it shows the long-suffering nature of God, the grace of God, the mercy of God. It's like if this didn't wake up the Christ rejecting and help them turn to God and accept him, then we're going we're gonna to up the, the wrath. It's going to get even more intense. Oh, that doesn't wake you up. Here's the bowl judgments. And in, in, in all of that as well, we began to see just how, how God was like uh, so merciful in, 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 in sending these, these witnesses to go and proclaim the gospel, the 144,000 to proclaim the gospel during that time as well. These three angels in chapter 14, the one that, that preached the gospel to every nation, language, and tongue, so everywhere in the world would hear the gospel. Another angel would come and would predict the doom of the final world governance, the final one world empire of the Antichrist. And then another one would come and say, don't take his mark, or, or you're going to be damned forever. You will be in eternity in hell. Don't, don't take his mark. And so by the time we come to chapter 17, the Antichrist has risen to power. He has set up a one world government, a one world economy. Um, the, the, it, it, the, the world has been pulled together through the governance of the Antichrist, how he governs, how he sets it up through an economy where everyone has to use the same currency. It's probably digital, um, but it's all tied to his mark on the right hand or on their forehead. The second beast that came out of the sea in chapter 13 was another, like his partner, which we would learn to be the false prophet. He would be the one that would actually, you know, rally everyone behind a one world religious system. And so the way that he would do that, of course, he would have the power of Satan behind him, just like the Antichrist, do all kinds of crazy signs and wonders. People would just be like in awe. He would he would construct and set an image of the Antichrist. We believe in the third temple that is yet to be built. And the whole world, all religions of the world are going to have to like bow a knee to that final you know, religious system. And if they don't, they're going to be completely opposed uh, or, or they're going to have a, a choice to live or die. They're going to kill those people who don't fall in line. And so... We're, we're at the final end of the the, 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 the angels are pouring out the seven bowls of wrath. And the seventh bowl, as we concluded in chapter 16, has to do with like the end. It's just going to hone in on the last part of God judging. And it's not so much the earth as he previously judged with the bowls of wrath where there was that global, you know, vexing pandemic of sores on everybody the water was turned, all the water sources were turned to blood. Um, 
The, the men were scorched with the sun and whatnot. There was darkness over the earth, the leveling earthquakes and all of that. But in this final, you know, chapter here, not final chapter, but this final bowl as we're looking at the seventh bowl, the, 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 the angel, one of the angels will come over to John and go, hey, you want to have a first-hand look, like a personal tour? Come on over here. And I, wanna, I want you to observe God judging, not so much the land or man, but in chapters 17 and 18, he's saying, I want you to watch how God is judging the Antichrist, okay, the false prophet, and those systems. The systems are going to be the religious system, the one world religious system in chapter 18, or chapter 17, then the, the one world, like, government, the final government in chapter 18, and then the one world military, or the military that the Antichrist will rally behind him in chapter 19. So a lot to get through, but that kind of sets things up. We're at the end of that seven-year period, right before the second coming of Jesus Christ, the Battle of Armageddon, and him, of course, setting up his kingdom. But, but there's this judgment of the final one-world system. And um, in verse 1 it says, Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bulls came and talked to me, saying, Come, and I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth were made drunk with the wine of her fornication. So why the symbol of a harlot? There's a lot of symbols in the book of Revelation and a lot of conjecture on that. But one of the reasons is that a lot of these symbols just kind of carry over from one generation to the other. A harlot has always meant a harlot. So in that sense, John is like understanding what this is saying, but we're not talking about that in the physical sense. The words harlot and fornication are used in the spiritual sense here. John is not talking about physical fornication or physical adultery. He's talking about adultery and our relationship with God, turning away from God and worshiping other gods. It's defined as spiritual, spiritual fornication, spiritual adultery. And there's a harlot involved. These dark terms used in Scripture that, again, are describing people that are turning away from the one true living God to other gods. Jeremiah 3, verse 14, God presented himself as a husband to Israel. Return, O backsliding Israel, our children, says the Lord, for I am married to you. Jeremiah 31, 32. I took Israel by the hand, God says, to lead them out of Egypt, my covenant, which they broke, though I was a husband to them. In the, the, the New Testament, the church is viewed as a virgin destined to be joined to her husband, which is Christ. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 2, For I have betrothed you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. James, writing to believers in the book of James, James 4.4, 4, he says like, hey, adulterers and adulteresses. Not talking in the physical sense, he's talking about in the spiritual. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Revelation 19, verse 7, the church 
is seen at the marriage supper of the Lamb. We'll be there pretty soon. In the Bible studies, maybe literally as well, but it's coming. But the, the, the church is seen as the bride of Christ who has now made herself ready. The 144,000 that were sealed by God, the Jews that were sealed by God back in chapter 14, it was, they were described as those who were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. These are the ones that follow the Lamb wherever he goes. It was a, a description of those who refused to turn away from Jesus, Christ, and worship the Antichrist. They did not turn away from him, but they remained loyal to him, so they are identified as virgins. Those who turn away from God to worship other gods are described as that harlot. But the church, again, is the bride of Christ. 2 Corinthians eleven twelve. For I am jealous for you with godly jealousy, Paul would say towards the church. For I have betrothed you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. What an interesting way to see the church. Now in every age, there have been those who have abandoned their vows to God and have committed spiritual adultery by worshiping something other than the one true living God, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the creator of all, the only savior and soon coming king whose name is Jesus. The spiritual adultery in the tribulation period is going to be at an all-time high where people will be worshiping globally the Antichrist and not Jesus Christ, who is the one true living God. So the phrase great harlot speaks of the effectiveness, the reach of the influence of that final religious system. It encompasses the whole world. In verse 1, the harlot is seen sitting on many waters, which represents the masses of people, peoples and multitudes and nations and language that we saw back in chapter 15, verse 5. Her false religion will invade every nation, every culture around the world. Even to the point where she has influenced kings of the earth, little, literal leaders, political leaders, governmental leaders, royals and kings and, and queens and dukes and duchesses and prime ministers and presidents and ambassadors around the world are going to buy into this. The idea is that the influence of the Antichrist, one world, worship me, religious movement, has spread far and wide. Thus, judgment of this false satanic religion will mean judgment of its devoted practitioners. I'm sure you see the stage being set for this in our world today. There is the World Council of of churches, uh, a liberal leftist organization that is devoted to the, the, the world unification of churches and all religious entities. Like other ecumenical movements, they want to unite every religion, Protestants, Catholics, Islamists, Hindus, Buddhists, Wiccans, Universalists, and a variety of New Age belief systems, all they, they, they just let's unite all of them together. 
all of those systems together by accepting all religions as equally valid and credible. The ecumenical movement, it says, let's all of us, every religion, get along and get together. The ecumenical movement says, let's put our doctrinal differences aside and love one another and be equal. All religions are the same. All paths lead to God. Salvation is whatever you believe it to be. We can go on and on. But we have a, a Savior, our God, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In John 14, 6 says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Amen. Speaking of Jesus, Peter says in Acts chapter 4, 12, nor is there salvation in any other for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we may be saved. And so ecumenicalism is an invitation to deny Jesus as the only way, to deny Jesus as the only truth. It's an invitation to deny that he is the only source of spiritual life and the only way to eternal life in heaven. So at the heart of ecumenicalism is a desire to please men instead of God. And the Antichrist will capitalize on that. So there's this mounting, growing pressure within the world. It's, it's, it's intensifying to, to just all come together and just let, let all of our doctrinal differences just kind of lay them aside and let's just all get along, sit around one big old campfire and sing Kumbaya and be the same. We also have the, the whole progressive Christianity. They also believe we need to accept all faiths because all faiths, they say, are equal. But again, in order to accept all faiths as equal, Jesus, who claimed to be the eternal Son of God, must be lessened to something other than that. So they present him as this historical figure, one that lived a great moral life that we should model. But to lessen Jesus is to step away from the groom and to move towards spiritual idolatry. And the progressive movement as well as the ecumenical movement are creeping into many of the mainline denominations around the world. We also have this whole coexistence push, a movement. I think we have a picture of their logo that I'd like to have them pop up here. You've probably seen some bumper stickers or signs up or even rallies with this, the, the sea crescent moon there representing Islam. The, the, the O, peace symbol for pagan, um, the Wiccan pinnacle there, the, the E for male and female, female symbol, um, scientific equation, um, the X, the star of David representing Judaism, the I, that's all the paganistic things, the wicked nonsense, S for the Toism, the, the yin and yang, the Chinese world influence, and T representing the cross of Christianity. And there's this, this demand, this demand by our culture to fall in line with these secular, ecumenical, progressive beliefs. They're growing with intensity. Disagree with their worldview, and they will, they will label you as intolerant, as a bigot, as racist, as a threat to society, as a threat to your own children, as a threat to your own grandchildren. So the stage is being set for this one world religion, the harlot that John sees taking hold of the entire world during the tribulation period. So in verse 3, he, he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, the angel there leading John, and I saw a woman sitting 
on a scarlet beast. Scarlet there, the color of Satan, the color of the Antichrist, which was full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. And so this woman, <clears throat> who is the, um, the harlot, um, representing the nationalistic apostate one world religion, that's what she is. She is sitting on a scarlet beast, which was full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. And so she will be allied. The, the, the one world religious system will be allied with the Antichrist. This is something that's very important. And, um, and, and, and she's full of names of blasphemy. So we, we know that we've already heard about the, the Antichrist himself. We'll get to a point where he blasphemes God, the people of God, the, the Jews and the church, anybody who doesn't follow him. So her religious system supports him and his philosophy that is anti God, anti his people, anti his son. So the woman in verse 4 was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and, and pearls. So uh, very much unlike the church in John's day, which was very poor and persecuted, this future one world religious group will be wealthy and prominent and praised, not persecuted and not poor and not opposed. And so John, I'm sure, was probably like tripping out on that. Her dormant is like, like, like that of the religious trappings of like ritualistic churches today. But in the tribulation, her adornment represents the false religion that prostitutes the truth, and has walked away from God. And so in verse 4, also having in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the fullness of her fornication. What's that speaking about? It's speaking about the disgrace and the perversion and the corruption and the manipulation of the Christ-rejecting one-world religion during the tribulation period. And on her forehead, a name was written, Mystery Babylon, the great, the mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth. And so this tells us that this one world apostate religious movement that worships the Antichrist in the tribulation will actually be rooted in, in Babylon or in Babylonian thought. Mystery Babylon, the name Babylon in Scripture often refers to a counterfeit religion. Following the flood, God had established a covenant with mankind, put the rainbow in the sky saying, I'm never going to judge the earth again this way. Genesis 9, 1 and 2, then God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. That was God's command. For the followers of God, they would do that. That was a one, day, one way of saying, you are God, we are not. We're going to follow you by following your command. And so we would spread out. We would begin to be fruitful and multiply 
and spread out mankind around the earth, fill the earth. Then in Genesis chapter 10, it talks about the generations that had the descendants of Noah, which tells us that during this time, mankind was following God. Mankind was following God by dispersing and, and repopulating the earth, as God had said. But then you come to Genesis chapter 11, and things became, began to change. In verse 1, it says, Now the whole earth had one language and, and one speech, and it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. And so they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks, let us bake them thoroughly. They had brick for stone, and they had asphalt for mortar, and they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves. Don't miss that. Lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the earth. So somewhere as man was procreating and populating and, and spreading out over the earth as God had said, showing that they were followers of the one true living God, there was a, a halt to that. And no longer was it about God and worshiping God and, and bringing glory to God by obeying God. Now it was about man. And it was about bringing glory to man. This was an idolatrous attempt by man to disobey God and building something that defies God and brings glory to themselves. Like modern ecumenicalism, it's a desire, it was a desire to please man instead of God. And so as you read on, you see that the head engineer was a man by the name of Nimrod. In Hebrew, his name meant, we shall rebel. What they built... This Tower of Babel, it wasn't just this little lookout tower. Archaeologists have unearthed many of these towers, and they believe that people were, 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 they built these things, constructed these things for people to go up and worship the stars and the constellations. And again, in doing that, they were turning away from God, becoming unfaithful in their relationship with God, which is what? Spiritual adultery. As a result, Genesis 11, 7 through 9, God judged them. Come, let us go down and, and confuse their language that they might not understand each other's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from the face, over the face of the earth, and they ceased building the city. Therefore, the name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused their language, and from there the Lord scattered them as he had originally intended. And so in judging this act of God confusing their language of the people, there was it was known, the place was known for this. Babel, or confusion, later called Babylon. So Babylon is the origin of man-made religious system that turns away from God and is apart from God. That is what is pictured in the symbolism of the harlot. On her forehead, a name was written, Mystery Babylon the Great. The one world godless religious system during the tribulation period will be 
an apostate, man-made religious system that opposes God and completely sets themselves apart from God. Then in verse 6, I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I marveled with great amazement. So John sees the carnage of her wrath upon true believers during the tribulation period. True believers that were martyred during the, 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 the tribulation period and murdered during the tribulation period. Next, the angel explains the meaning of the woman and the beast. But before that, he makes a promise to John. Verse 7. But the angel said to me, why did you marvel? John, why did you look like a deer caught in the headlights? Like the, you know, let, let me explain. So he breaks this down. And I'm glad because if we didn't have this explanation, we'd be like scratching our heads. So probably like John. But I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carries her, <clears throat> which has the seven heads and the ten horns. The beast which you saw was and is not and will ascend out of the bottomless pit and go to perdition. And those who dwell on the earth will marvel, whose names are not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world when they see the beast that was and is not and yet is. So John, before we go any farther, let me just give you a promise. Listen, the Antichrist who's really behind all of this, all this worship is aimed at him. The Antichrist, the ruler of the end times, you know, global empire, which includes this Babylon, the religious aspect of it. Well, God has given him and that a short time. He comes from the bottomless pit and he will return. He will go to perdition. And that word perdition means eternal punishment. And then we have a very interesting description of the beast. The beast was and is not and yet is. Now, some see this as the beast is the Antichrist. So they see it connected to the assassination attempt. We believe that is what will happen in Revelation 13. The, you know, the Antichrist comes on the scene. And in, in verse 3, it says that one of his, his heads, as if it had been mortally wounded, it looks like an assassination attempt. And his deadly wound was healed, and the whole world marveled, okay, and followed the beast. And so they worshipped the, the, the beast, the dragon, who gave authority, worshipped Satan through this. Satan was behind all of this, who gave power to the Antichrist. And they worshipped the beast, saying, who was like the beast, who was able to make war with him. So now the angel's telling John, those who dwell on the earth as well, they're going to marvel. They're going to, they're going to, so, so what it said in chapter 13, it's kind of repeating here. Yeah, they're going to marvel. They're going to follow him. That one world religious system will be set up by the, the false prophet and all of that. But it's going to be short-lived. He came from the bottomless pit. He's going there for, he's going to be punished throughout eternity. And those that will marvel at the beast and worship the beast, notice how they are, Described here, they are described as peoples who, whose names are not written in the book of life from the foundation 
of the world. The book of life is a book that contains the names of people who are genuinely saved, those who have genuinely accepted Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior. The moment that, that, that happens for us today, our names are written in this book of life. Revelation 3, 5, we see that those who remain faithful to Jesus through the tribulation period did not have their names or did not have their names blotted out of the book of life. In Revelation 20, 12, the book of life will be used along with the books of judgment in the final judgment to separate the righteous from the wicked for their respective sins. So when the, there's the, the, the wicked will be judged one day in front of the great white throne. We'll get there pretty soon. We'll never go before that throne, but we'll be there in our, in our Bible studies. But when they're there... There's going to be justification and proof of why they're being judged to an eternity, to hell, apart from God. And part of the books that are going to be brought out are like, your name's not in the book of life, man. You never accepted Jesus Christ. Revelation 21, 27, the only ones that enter into heaven are those whose names are in the book of life. Those who do not believe in Jesus and do not trust in Jesus will not be saved. They will worship the beast, and the beast is being, of course, dominated by this woman, this mystery Babylon. So it's going to be a very horrific time. Verse 9. Here's the mind which has wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits. There are also seven kings. Five have fallen... One is, and the other has yet not yet come. And when he comes, he must continue a short time. The beast that was and is not is himself also the eighth and is of the seven and is going to perdition. The first time I taught the book of Revelation, I don't know what age I was, but I remember reading this portion going, I just don't get it. I'm like, why is this penned down this way? And it really took me years to connect a lot of the dots, to, to, to understand the symbols. Some of the symbols in the book of Revelation are also similar to those used in like the book of Daniel. And, 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 and as I began to like build the picture and, and lay this out, I began to understand it. I've taught the book of Revelation, I think six times now, and I went back and I was looking at some of my earlier notes and I thought, man, when I came to this passage, I didn't understand it. I, it just didn't make sense. But I'm going to tell you, to just kind of free read through the book of Revelation, it can be a challenge. There's a lot of learning that's involved. But it's, these things are, are not beyond our reach. The seven, let's take this, just kind of break it apart. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits. So we're, can we understand who the woman is now? It's this one world religious system. And we know that it's all tied to the Antichrist. And so it's, it's a picture of, of, of the seat of power. As the Antichrist run, run, runs the one world you know, system, which includes a one world economy and a one world religious system, which the woman is tied into, there's going to have to be a headquarters. Most believe this is a reference to where the Antichrist is going to like run his deal. 
and most believe it's Rome, as Rome was built on seven hills. I don't care. I'm not going to be there, just so we're clear, all right? I know, so don't come to me and go, oh, I think it's this. Great, whatever your theory is, great. You all get to heaven, and you'll see that I'm right. But in verse, <laughs> verse 10, there are also seven kings. Five have fallen, one is, the other has not yet come. And so most scholars believe this is a reference to the seven world empires that stood against and opposed God's people throughout history. Five, have, five that existed in John's past. So when John was writing this, it would have been Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, the Medo-Persians, and Greece. One that is, the sixth. The one that existed in John's present day would be Rome, the Roman Empire. Then there is the other who has not yet come. The other that will arise in the future is Babylon, the empire of the Antichrist. But then it says in verse 10 and 11, and when he comes, he must continue a short time. That's the tribulation period, seven years. The beast that was and is and is himself, also the eighth, is of the seventh and is going to perdition. So the Antichrist is seen as the eighth but he's part of the seven. He's part of the final empire. So the idea is that the final world government will be part of a, a, a confederation of nations that were all part of the old Roman empire. Verse 12 builds upon that. The ten horns, which you saw, are ten kings who have received no kingdom as yet, but they receive authority for one hour. So this final governance, 10 kings, 10 governments, they haven't really come together yet, but they will for a short season as kings with the beast. And so again, when the Antichrist rises to power, he's going to pull together 10 nations. All of them will be a nation that was part of uh, the old Roman Empire. We've never seen that confederation of nations come together um, since the Roman Empire, but in the tribulation period, it will happen under the leadership of the Antichrist and his system. And so if you want to go into a deeper dive on that, look at our Bible study in Revelation chapter 13. Verse 13. These are of one mind, and they will give their power and authority to the beast. And so they will completely, <clears throat> these ten nations that I believe are in existence right now, <clears throat> They will acquiesce to the power and the authority of this one world leader, which is the Antichrist. And that, of course, is not going to happen overnight. I believe we're moving that direction even now. Verse 14, these will make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb will overcome them, for he is Lord of lords and King of kings, and those who are with him are called chosen and faithful. Now, we talked about in the latter part of the book of Revelation, not every part is in chronological order. There are these parenthetical um, references. This is in parentheses. He's, you know, we're, we're talking about like the judgment of the final religious system. Oh, and by the way, we, we got to understand 
there's going to be this war. And he's going to get into that in chapter 19. But before he gets into the war, the Battle of Armageddon, in chapter 19, he's like, hmm, this in parentheses, but understand the Lamb's coming. Uh, understand the second coming of Jesus Christ, in parentheses. It's kind of a highlight. He's done that a couple of times now. Maybe to just flavor this with some hope. But another reference to the second coming of Jesus Christ. And listen, and the victory that he is going to have over the Antichrist and his united military that he will garner together during the latter part of the tribulation period. And there'll be a standoff there in the valley of Megiddo. Um, you and I that will return with Jesus during the second coming. There's a picture of us right here as well. How are we seen? We are called, we are chosen, and we've been faithful. I'm going to say that again. We've been called, he's chosen us, and we've been faithful. I know it gets hard. It just, heart to heart, I just, I know life can be hard. I had, a, I had a hard week a few weeks back, and I was walking through the house, and, and just, just stuff, everything. Anybody have a hard week? Just have a hard week. You're a Christian, you're a child of God. Hard year. Anybody going through hard times right now? Raise your hand. God sees your heart, okay? And I just, I went, God, why does it have to be so hard? Life shouldn't be this hard. Here I am, in California, sunny day, in a house. Everything's just out of perspective. But the circumstances were stacking up, and it's just I was getting some bad news about some good friends and health stuff, and I'm just like, I was just so mad. And then it, it, it hit me. I was upset at the right stuff. Yeah, there, I hate cancer. I hate what it's doing to my friends. I hate what the enemy does to marriages. I hate infighting in the body of Christ. I hate seeing people hurt. I, I hate seeing people just shackled by drugs and alcohol. I hate, I just hate it. And just all the stuff that came to my attention was like people want me to weigh in and pray in and all that. It just weighted me down. I just, I was like, I just hate this place. I just got to that point. And that's, I, I think, where, where it's, it's almost the righteous anger of God aimed at the right stuff. It's the fall. It's Satan. And I'm walking around. I got over myself. Okay, just so you know. Got over it. And I begin to think about, wait a minute. I'm going through all of this with God. He's with me. He's never, you know. And, 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 I, and I, I'm, I'm teaching this stuff. So, of course, the enemy's going to be like, you know, attacking me in a unique way. But and then I start, well, I'm on the winning team. What am I thinking? I don't know who's going to win a Super Bowl today, but they're going to have to endure some stuff. Some of those guys on the, on the front line, I, I don't know how these quarterbacks take these hits. It's like a 750-pound piece of meat coming at me, and I'm like, and they go, wham! You've got to endure that to hold that trophy. We are going to have to endure and press on. We just are. There's nothing that God is going to allow into our life, into our world, into our orbit, He's not aware of, but he's not allowed. And making it through that is not going to be because of your own strength or your own ingenuity or your own ability. Making it through the hard times is because of who he is and you bringing him in and you depending on him. 
it's going to be hard. And as this is all mounting, it's, it's, it's heading a direction. The world is becoming more and more like that world that we see defined with like great definition in Revelation 6 through 19, the tribulation period. The, the world's moving that way right now. Then he said, verse 15, the waters which you saw were where the harlot sits. They're, 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 here's our answer to that. They're the peoples, the multitudes, the nations, and the tongues. Those who have bought into the one world religion and have taken the mark and worshiped the beast. And the ten horns which you saw in the beast, these will hate the harlot, which is kind of an interesting thing going on right here, and make her desolate and naked and eat her flesh and burn her with fire. For God has put it into their hearts to fulfill his purpose, to be of one mind and to give their kingdom to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled and the woman whom you saw is that great city which reigns over the kings of the earth. And so the wheels are starting to fall off and we're starting to get a description of what that looks like when the final world empire, that eighth, if you will, where the Antichrist is ruling and reigning, where it begins to just fall apart. And so... The Antichrist took advantage of the false prophets and helped, you know, build, if you will, they helped each other build, if you will, this one world, you know, religious system. And part of this is like what we're seeing and, 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 and understanding. But there's going to be a, a time at the very end where the Antichrist is going to go, don't need you anymore. Don't need that anymore. So the, the governmental structure, you know, this is hard to understand, that a government would not favor religion, but in the, that was, a, that was a truism that I just said, by the way. Amen? That's going to intensify. And so the, the final government, it's power-driven, it's ego-driven. The Antichrist is going to be a man empowered by Satan. And he's probably going to watch a world that's just giving a little too much attention to like the whole religious aspect of this. And he's going to go, no, 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 no. That's not going to happen anymore. And, and it's all, it's scripted by God. It's all part of like God has put it in their hearts. I'm not going to make sure exactly what the Antichrist is going to do, but he's going to bring an end to that one world system of religion, that one world religious system. And so the beast and the Antichrist that used you know, the woman and gained control of the whole world, but in the end, the Antichrist is going to go, nah. And that is why it's labeled harlotry. Use it, abuse it, and destroy it. But God has put it in their hearts to fulfill his purpose. So God sovereignly uses evil to judge evil. It's just fascinating. The fulfillment of this prophecy of a single worldwide religion 
is yet to come. It will come. It will come in the tribulation period. But that doesn't mean the deception, the deception of it. It's just not been stood up. But the deception of it is prevalent today. It's at work today. In 1 John 2.18, the Apostle John warned us, just as you heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have appeared. There's many with this mindset. 1 John 4.3, he added, the spirit of the Antichrist is already at work in the world. It's the time of the church. John's writing clear back 2,000 years ago. So the spirit of the Antichrist has been working. It's going to be intensifying the closer it gets to the tribulation period. So we need to read this with some like sober, alert eyes. In order not to get deceived, you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit and be grounded in the Word of God. Make sure you're born again if you're not. So you can be filled with the Spirit of God and begin to like really understand the Word of God. I've got a neighbor that I, I see. He rides a bike. Maybe he's listening right now. Mike, if you're listening, God bless you. Love you. I'll talk to you later this week. But he has all these questions right now. Questions. I was late today because I ran into Mike. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, uh, he's, he's in the book of Exodus because Lori gave him a, a one-year Bible. And he's clear back there. He's like, I got all these questions, man. I go, I'm at the end of the book. He says, you're at the end of Exodus already? I go, no, 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 I'm in Revelation. Well, what's that about? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> you know how hard that is to be just like driving, get pulled over, talking to someone, and you're, you've been studying for a whole week, and someone asks, well, what are you going to go talk about right now? God bless you, Mike. But make sure you're born again, Mike. <laughs> if you're listening Give your life to Jesus, man. And then when we go through the Bible, where's the cameras on, right? If we go through the Bible in your house this week, as we talked about, it'll make a lot more sense because the Holy Spirit will be in you, brother, helping you understand these things. Amen? Amen? Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to bring him up here once he gets saved. You know, gives testimony. Christians. We need to guard our hearts against the deceitful plans of the enemy that are aimed at the church right now. The ecumenical, progressive, Babylonian mindsets that are designed to please man instead of God. Mindsets that say all religions are the same. Be careful. Mindsets that say put away your doctrinal differences. All religions are the same. All roads lead to God. Secular mindsets that say Jesus is not God, is not the only way. Secular mindsets that lead to spiritual adultery. We've got to guard our hearts. Don't sip the wine of Satan's fornication that is being served up today. For those that sip it up, they will begin to question the supremacy of God, the character of God, the justice of God, the credibility of God, the supremacy of his word. People that do that as Christians, they're sipping on the wine of Satan's fornication. He's trying to pull you away from the bride, from the groom. 
into spiritual adultery with him. People that like that wine and sip on that wine, before long, they begin to think like the wine of the world. Begin to question the origins of life or leave room to different views. They're entitled to their view. They're entitled to their view. Same with gender. Same with marriage. Same with sexuality. And then they begin to think critically about the church. Be careful being around Christians that are critical about God, critical about his word, or critical about his bride. Be careful in your relationships with those people. Their heart's not right. Love them, but you lead them. Do not let what they're sipping on affect you. Let what you are drinking in, Jesus and his word, have an effect on them. Amen? Amen. There's some people that are really into a lot of stuff other than Jesus. I was talking to Stan last night, and he was telling me that the average ticket at the Super Bowl today, in the nosebleed, the average in the nosebleed is $8,500. For a person to fly to Vegas, stay in a room, and go to the Super Bowl, one person, the average cost is $25,000. You tell me people aren't, like, really into some stuff. Where are you? You're in Calvary Chapel, La Habra, listening to some guy talk longer than he should. Yeah. Opening God's word. What, what was your investment today? Time? What was God's investment in you? Eternity. Hope. Salvation. And help. I'll take that. I'll watch the game eating a bag of chips. It's going to be great, and I'm not going to spend the 25 grand. <laughs> Let's all stand. Lord, we love you, and we do pray for our friends and loved ones like Mike that uh, don't know you. <laughs> Save them, Lord. If that's you here or even online, cry out to Jesus today and ask him to come into your life to be your Lord and Savior. Repent. Embrace him. Follow him. Fall in love with him. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Go Chiefs. <laughs>